0: So let's look a little bit at what we do with this this knowledge and why this knowledge is so important and and we said you gain knowledge, uh, I should probably reference this before I get into that actually Um, worship is is one way we gain knowledge when you come into God's presence and you feel his spirit when you've come prepared to a worship service um, you can't stumble into the lord's presence you have to be ready right he can only give what you can receive when you come into the lord's presence when you begin to feel the spirit of god that is not the end result and too many of us i think from time to time are just so happy that we feel the spirit of god that we're like okay i've come and i've arrived and and now i can go home and that's really that's not it when the spirit is there which hopefully if you've made preparation, it's there at the beginning of your worship experience and not waiting till the end. If the spirit is there, it's there to begin to teach you the ways of God. It's when Moses, right, his attention was gathered in the burning bush and he went to see, he said, I turn aside to see this bush that burns but is not consumed. And when he went to see and he came into God's presence, Right? That wasn't the end all, okay, I've been in the presence of God, that's great, I'm going back down the mountain. No, that was the beginning. It was the beginning of him being taught by the Spirit and by the Lord himself of what needed to take place in his life and, and for Israel. The same way in worship. Worship and feeling the Spirit is the beginning of true worship, not the end of it. That's not the end goal. The goal is to be in that Spirit, and then the Spirit begins to teach you through the service, through the things that are shared prophetically through counsel through the hymns and music sometimes music is the method that god uses whatever he uses to speak it's him beginning to teach you about him to gain a greater knowledge through the worship experience and i wanted to give you a quote from brother arthur oakman if you've ever read his book oh worship the king him and Weddle, very good book um, he mentions five things about how, when you come into God's presence in worship, that it He teaches you and it changes your very nature of who you are. It's spirit, His spirit, touching your spirit. That's worship. Here's the five things Brother Oakman said. He says worship is the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God. When you view His holiness compared to who you are, it changes your conscience. It's the feeding of the mind by the truth of God. That's what we've been talking about today. It's the feeding of the mind by the truth of God. Worship is cleansing of our imaginations by the beauty of God. Cleansing our imaginations by the beauty of God. When we see the beauty of what God is and what He offers by the power of His Spirit, our imaginations change. We have vain imaginations, the scriptures say. Our vain imagination is all about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, what we're going to accomplish, and, and so forth. Very Usually very self-motivated. When our imaginations see the beauty of God, we recognize that nothing else really matters, and our imaginations change. We start to think, just like probably at the reunion this week, I hope your imaginations have changed from all the things that you've been imagining about your job and things in the world to the kingdom. Hopefully. The fourth thing, it's the opening of our hearts to the pure love of God. To love in ways that we've never expressed before, seen before through sacrificial love. And the fifth thing, it is the surrounding and the surrendering of our wills to the purposes of God. Quickening our conscience by his holiness, feeding our minds by his truth, Cleansing our imaginations by his beauty, opening our hearts to his pure love, and surrendering our wills to his purposes. That's what worship does. That is gaining a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in worship when we see him with an unveiled face. When we see him as he is. Too often, and what I mean by that, when we come into worship settings, we, we see only partly and we see with a veil, because the veil is our own thoughts, imaginations, lack of preparation, and it puts a curtain between us and the, the beauty that he wants to show us, his holiness he wants to express to us, the truth that he wants to give to our minds, and so this is why worship is so important. The saints should love to come together to worship as much and as frequently as possibly they can. Because that's how you gain a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the experiences. That's seeking learning by study and by faith. The faith side of it. The experiences you have with his spirit. Okay, Sister in the back.
1: Brother Mike, in keeping with that, 15 years ago my husband and I had an opportunity to go to Alaska. And we had gone with a church lady that conducted these tours and she had told us that He'd had 11 different tours go up there, and they go to Denali, and she said there was times they would see the mountain and other times they would not. So the day we went in, it was on a Saturday and it was cloudy. We went in and we went out on the deck, and they had the the maps, you know, showing where the different mountain ranges was, and different ones was saying, "Oh, it's over here," and others say, "No, it's over there." Well, the next morning we get up, it's Sunday morning, and we come out, and it's. It's beautiful, the skies are, and we look up and here's this beautiful, magnificent mountain. And as I was thanking the Heavenly Father for eyes to see and ears to hear this beauty that we were in, the understanding came to me that he, like that mountain, is always here. There are things in our lives that cloud it, this veil you refer to, where we don't see him, but he is always there.
0: Yep, he is. You're right. It's just whether we can see him or not. Brother Oakman makes this final comment. He says, when these things happen in our worship experiences, he says, it gathers all of the facets of our nature into one complete and total attitude of adoration and awe of God. And that has the power to change us. That changes us from the nature of what we are to what we can be through Christ. And that's the beauty of uh, gaining a knowledge of him. So you have truth, but you also have the experiences of coming into his presence that brings a greater knowledge and appreciation. Why did a lot of the missionaries could preach with such power and authority? Because they, they had the experience. It wasn't just a belief that if you do this, this will happen. They had experienced it, and they bore witness of it. And that's the essence of, of worship and knowledge and understanding. So what to do with this knowledge? Let's look at section 28. Every time God gives you something, guess what? There has to be a response. Every time. Whatever you have gained this week, there has to be a response from you. Let's look at section 28. To everything gained in knowledge and understanding requires that response in section 28 uh, looking at verse 14 and again I say unto you that whoso having knowledge have I not commanded to repent and he that hath no understanding it remaineth in me to do according as it is written so here we have if you have knowledge then you have been commanded to repent. Now, there's a fundamental reason for that. Every time that you see a little bit more of the nature of Christ and he reveals a little bit more to you, you can't stay the same. That's what repentance is. It's changing, right? You cannot be the same. I uh, used to share this uh, at Christmas time. One of my favorite things about the, the wise men that came from the east and they went to see the the, the Christ child and uh, I know it's referencing geography but there's a greater spiritual I think uh, message there too it says when they went and they saw the Christ child and they laid their gifts down before him and it says when they returned uh, they returned uh, uh, and went another and they went another way and that's true not only geographically but once you see the Christ you can never return the same way. You can never be the same, ever. Because once you've confronted truth, guess what truth puts in front of you? You now have a choice. You either embrace the truth or you reject the truth. Anytime you're confronted with it, you have a decision to make. And that's why it says in here, that's why he's saying, if you have, have knowledge, have I not commanded you to repent? You have to make a change. I command you to make the change based on the truth that you now know, okay? Every one of us this week, I'm sure, has gained something from prayer services, from the preaching ministry, from classes, from whatever. Maybe it's through the singing. Some truth has been revealed to you this week that relates to probably you and your family at some point. And what's the response to that? There needs to be a change, right? There has to be a change. And that is the nature of repentance. Repentance is not a negative term. The world has hijacked that term and tried to make it a negative term. It's really not negative at all. Repentance is a great term. It's a wonderful term because it gives you a chance to make the adjustments in your life to come closer to Christ. And so every revealment, every experience that you can think of that maybe you've had in your life, whether it was at a reunion or at church services or in your homes or wherever it was at, every time God has revealed himself through his Son and by his Spirit... It requires you to have a response. So you can't just sit back and say, Oh, that was great. I got this new understanding, and then keep going on your own way. Because now, guess what? You're under a greater condemnation. Because now you know and you didn't make the adjustment. So when Latter day Saints are very gleeful and, and they should be very uh understanding that when they say we have the fullness of the gospel, that's true. That also means with greater knowledge and greater fullness of understanding comes greater responsibility, right? Greater response and repentance is needed. Um, Alma 16, let's turn to that in the Book of Mormon. Alma the 16th chapter. And I'm looking at verse 141, 16, 141. It says here, And now how much more cursed is he that knoweth the will of God and doeth it not than he that only believeth, or only hath cause to believe and falleth into transgression, now of this thing ye must judge. So the bottom line is, those who only believe or have cause to believe someone else, uh, it's one thing if they transgress, but if you have a, a more, uh, more knowledge or understanding of the will of God, and you know what the will of God, and you transgress, then you have a great, greater condemnation. It's a greater responsibility. So with knowledge, it's a wonderful thing comes the responsibility of using that and of making the adjustments in our lives individually in our families and as individuals but also collectively as a body as well as branches and as a church so you have that and uh, in 2 Nephi 6.35 we'll stay in the Book of Mormon for a second here let's turn to 2 Nephi 6.35 I've always thought about this, what this must be like. It says, And the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. So the righteous will have a perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. While we're here in this state that we're in, right, we see things in part we understand in part it says the prophets of old prophesied in part not knowing all that the lord was going to do but there will come a day when the lord will reveal in a way that we will have a perfect knowledge if we're righteous a perfect knowledge of our enjoyment of the joy that has been set before us i don't know about you but that's really a goal to get, to to push forward and to press forward right when we talk about the rod of iron in lehi's vision and and nephi gives his um explanation of what he was given about that and it says they hung on to the rod of iron right the word of god the knowledge of what they had gained this goes with section 50 really but they just didn't hang on to it it says they pressed forward hanging on to the rod of iron which means you can't just stay still and say great we've got this truth what what are you going to do with it you got to press forward, still hanging on to that right. Continuing as Section Fifty was read there by Steve. Continuing on in the knowledge that you have that you might receive more light, and that it will grow brighter and brighter. Okay, so we have a responsibility what to do with knowledge. It's, it's a wonderful thing, but it's something that has to be be used. Uh, if you look at Section 8 of the Doctrine and Covenants, does God give us all the knowledge we want right just all at one time? No. He gives us a little bit line upon line. says precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And I know for some of us that that might seem a little frustrating, like I want to know this, right? But God doesn't give us everything all at one time because, number one, we're usually not ready for it. And number two, we would exercise no faith. There would be no, no faith needed. And we can't please God, it says, without having faith. So let's look at Section 8 in the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Section 58, 58C. Section 58C. I about messed that up a third time. This goes very close to what Brother Willie was uh, at earlier. C and D, it says, Wherefore uh, for in this thing my servant Edward Partridge is not justified. Nevertheless, let him repent, and he shall be forgiven. Behold, ye are little children, and ye cannot bear all things now. There's that word bear again, right? You cannot bear all things. That say you can't hear. You cannot bear it. Ye must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. Now think about what he's saying here. It's not that you can't hear it, but you cannot bear it. If he gave us all at once, it would be overwhelming and it would consume us. I can't imagine the presence of Christ in our state without further preparation of what that would be, because he is all truth. And we cannot bear that as little children in the gospel, right? We all are. But you must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. So, what should we be doing every day as Latter-day Saints if we're going to be a part of the great marvelous work? We're going to embark in the service of God. Add to your faith, right? And we've talked about this already. Humility and patience. We have to add to that knowledge. If we don't have knowledge, right, we got to grow in that. We're never going to be able to come to the realization of the perfect knowledge of the, of the Son of Man. So, there's a couple of things related to that. Um. I wanted to also uh, look real, real carefully here at this Um, section uh, 85 in the Doctrine and Covenants about seeking after knowledge. And I'm looking at verse 23 a section 85. Twenty-three A. This was actually a revelation given to the church, particularly to priesthood, in preparation. Um, But it applies. The principles here apply to everyone, so keep that in mind. In 23a it says therefore tarry ye and labor diligently that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time as many as the mouth of the Lord shall name to bind up the law and seal up the testimony and to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment which is to come that their souls may escape the wrath of God the desolation of abomination which shall await the wicked both in this world and in the world to come now there's two things about binding up the law and sealing up the testimony that I want to mention here as it relates to knowledge. That is, a, I had to look up. I was like, okay, bind up the law and seal up the testimony. It's referenced in a couple of places in scripture. What does that really mean? And in ancient times, uh, what they would do is, as the law or as, as uh, was laid out, uh, they would have it on scrolls, as you guys know back in ancient days. And it would be on this scroll, and they would roll it out. And once everything that had been said in the law had been taught, had been given, all knowledge had been given, right? They then would roll it back up, and they would put a tie around it. That was called binding up the law. After everything is said that could be said and taught and done, they bound it up, right? Bind up the law. And they also uh, uh, would bear witness of the prophets, their testimony, right? And again, when all the prophets had been read and then been shared and everything that could be shared could be shared, then they did the same thing. They they put it and they put a seal over the top of it. they sealed it up. So binding up the law and sealing up testimony means that you go forth and the church was to go forth and to bear witness of the knowledge and to share all the things about the law and the testimony of the prophets. And then they would be bound up and they would be sealed. Okay, now. For the church to do that means they got to know the law and they have to know the testimonies, right? They have to know the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, right? We're told that in Revelation. And so every member of this church, right, needs to have a better understanding of the things that the Lord has shared in his word, the law that he has given to us in the last days to bring forth the kingdom, and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ to bind up the law And seal up the testimony for that which is to come. That's really a tremendous responsibility given to the church and to the ministry here in particular, who's this referencing. But in general, we're to bear witness of Christ, right? We're to testify of Christ and we're to beg witness of the things that the Lord has commanded us to do. By word and by deed, it says, right? By both, by the things that we say and by how we act, by our deeds. So I just want to point that out that here's some pretty important things the church has been given that we probably aren't aware of as members of said church right of embarking in the service of God and part of that alright there's a couple other examples I could give but I want to get to something else really quick here before I run out of time today and that is the word diligent and diligence so this is actually listed in section 4 as the very last thing there, and, and to be diligent, right? And I looked in the scriptures, how often is this word used, okay? And uh, diligence, diligent, diligently is used 248 times in the scriptures. 248 times. It's comes from... Uh, Hebrew and it's used also in Greek in Hebrew it simply means to watch, to guard to search out to make hasten and to determine to watch, to guard, to search out to hasten or determine in Greek it can be translated to mean to endeavor to move forward in, to labor in, to make haste, to earnestly care for, to be careful in and to urge on Okay, so the word diligent is, for us today, basically we would use the word being persistent, being attentive, energetically applicating to the task at hand. That's what modern version of that is. I want to give you all three so you understood in Hebrew, the Greek, and and modern day. Why does the Lord then, here in the end of this, say that uh, in section four, he gives us all these attributes... And then he says, you must remember faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. Diligence is the last one mentioned here. And I think that's done for a reason. Because you can have all of these things, but if you don't do it diligently, you're not going to have the promise. And the reason why I say that, look in the scriptures, and you can seek this, search this out for yourself. The Lord many times in the scriptures, several places, gives a command to the children of Israel. Okay, He'll say, you know, go to your homes and pray always unto me or something. He'll give a command, whatever the command is. And then he'll repeat that by saying, if you diligently, and he repeats the command, if you diligently do this, whatever that is, then he puts in the blessing at the end. In other words, I give you the command... And unless you diligently, in other words, you labor, persist, be attentive to this, unless you do this with full, careful purpose, right, you won't get this blessing. Look carefully several places in Scripture where that happens, okay? So let's look at Alma 17 to to make a couple of points here about the word diligent and, and doing something diligently. We have to be a diligent people, which means not casual about what we know Alma 17 looking at verse 51 Helaman's already been given commands here but here is where that promise comes in 51 therefore I command you my son Helaman that ye be diligent in fulfilling all my words and that ye be diligent in keeping the commandments of God as they are written. So he's saying, you can't just take what I've given you casually and do it whenever you want. You have to be diligent. You have to be labor in this. You have to search it out. You have to be earnest and careful. You have to be attentive and apply it energetically. Diligent. Okay? So, why is diligence so important? Diligence is the one important key that unlocks numerous spiritual blessings to the church. We have to be diligent in our application of the knowledge and really of all the attributes, okay? So here's some examples in scripture for diligence as uh, urged for in the scriptures, okay? Um, Let me ask you this question. Who comes to your mind in the scriptures when you think of someone who has been uh, diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Who comes to your mind? Moroni? Okay. Good. Who? Sons of Mosiah. Okay. Eventually, right, they do that. Okay. Elijah? Yes. Paul? Okay. Job? Who? Who? Daniel. Okay. Very good. Reggie. Joseph Smith. Absolutely. Emma. Yeah. Okay. So if let's take those examples and I know you can name more probably but you take some of those examples you guys have brought out here. Think about the what made them in your mind diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord. What was it about them In in these examples, you that made them diligent in keeping it. I wrote down a few, too. Enos, and here's the reason why I put them down. I went ahead and put an explanation why. Enos, because he sought forgiveness and prays all night long about his forgiveness. He didn't just casually pray one time and say, okay, Lord, forgive me, and I'm going to move on. He prayed all night long. He was diligent in his prayer. Noah. Noah was diligent because... (laughs) He preached for 120 years and built an ark when everyone told him he was a crazy man. He was diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord. He didn't do it just part-time. He didn't do it casually. He was energetic. He was focused. He was attentive. He was persistent for 120 years. Moses. <laughs> Moses was diligent because he kept going back before Pharaoh multiple times, right? Right? when pharaoh refused to give in right the lord kept sending him back go back and tell pharaoh this right moses could have been uh this isn't working no he was diligent in the commandment of the lord and i just put down a few examples because those are things that stand out in my mind and and i know all of you probably have reasons for the examples you give They were good ones okay so we're, we're told to be diligent in many ways now I'm not going to give you all of the scriptures related to this but I want to list for you if you want to jot these down I want to list for you all the things that the scriptures tell us that we are to be diligent in okay I'm going to give them to you here we're told to be diligent in seeking out God and there's a couple of these I'll break down some scripture because I I want to bear witness of it but seeking God we must be diligent in seeking him can't just go after him part time we're told to be diligent in our teaching that if we are diligent in teaching he'll give grace and understanding we're told to be diligent in laboring for the kingdom we talk about Zion we we can't just talk about it we have to be diligent in laboring for it that means doing the work we have to be diligent heeding the words of eternal life. We're told in multiple places to be diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord. You must diligently keep my commandments. And they always would give a blessing afterwards, right? here, If you keep this commandment, here's what will be the blessing. We're told to be diligent in sanctifying ourselves. Constantly re, um, moving our minds and our hearts together as one in the cause of of the Lord. We're told to diligently keep the Sabbath. That's very important. We kind of overlooked that one, but we shouldn't. We're told to be diligent in that. We're told to be diligent in serving each other. Diligently serve one another. We're told to be diligent in obtaining the Holy Ghost. We're told to be diligent in seeking those who are lost. And we're told to be diligent in seeking out truth and wisdom, which is kind of what we've been talking about today, seeking out truth and knowledge and wisdom. Now, those are some of the lists of things where it clearly states in scriptures most of these multiple times that we're to be diligent in. I want to go back to a couple of key ones here and give you some scriptural references to help tie this in and, and looking for this. The great call for diligence is the promise of victory. If you're diligent, you will gain victory. You will get the blessing. That's why the Lord words it that way. He gives the command, and then he says, if you diligently do the command, then he gives the blessing at the end, but you've got to be diligent in doing it. Okay. Uh, let's look real quick at uh, obtaining the Holy Ghost. First Nephi chapter 3. First Nephi chapter 3. And I want to turn to verse uh, 26. And I, Nephi, in verse 26, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost. Which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him. You're not going to gain the Holy Ghost if you just say, I would like to know, and don't diligently seek him. It's the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. Do we seek him diligently and daily, talking of the Holy Ghost, do we seek him out? To have the Holy Ghost with us. Okay, just an example. Uh, another example. Uh, let's uh, look at section 85 in the Doctrine and Covenants. Seeking God. Do you guys realize that the most important thing is not always what we think is important in other words when we go to the lord with a need he is mindful of our needs and he will uh grant blessings as a result but that's really not that's kind of secondary and what i mean by that is what god really wants of us when we come to him with our needs is he wants us to seek him out to find him the blessing is kind of the byproduct of finding him okay like when uh, administrations, right? It says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Well, the saving of the sick is more than just the physical need. The saving of the sick is is deals with the spirit, right? To seek out God, to find him. So in section 85, paragraph 16, we have this process. I mentioned this in the CMRB reunion as well. This is a process that when you feel... How many of you felt the Lord drawing near to you? Just felt like His Spirit was was getting really close. You you know what I'm talking about when you just like you sense He's there. You feel like you know, and it's not necessarily anything. Here's what He says: How to respond to that? Okay, in section 85, verse 16, He says, "I give unto you, my friends, and leave these uh, sayings with you to ponder in your hearts. With this commandment, that you shall call upon Me when, while I am near, the minute you feel." Even the least little nudge of the spirit, that's your cue that you must go and call upon his name. Call upon me when I am near. When you feel that nudge, call upon him. That's when he wants to have a con—he wants to talk to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to show you or or have you experience something. So when you feel the nudge, that's the first thing. Because sometimes what we do, we feel—we kind of just put it off. Well, I'm too busy right now. I'll go to the Lord in prayer later. No, he wants to talk to you now. When you feel the nudge, call upon me while I am near. If you will draw near unto me, then that lets him know you're serious. I will draw near unto you. So the nudge comes from the Lord first. If you respond to that and call upon him, then he says, I'm going to draw near unto you even further. Now that you, you're, you're willing to engage. If you will seek me diligently, it didn't say ask whatever you want at that point. It says what? Seek me diligently. There's the word diligently. If you seek me diligently, ye shall find me. He wants you to seek him. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the source of all of the blessings. He's the source of all of your strength. If you will seek him, you will find him. Once you have found him, then it says you can ask and receive we we just want to go right to the deal I got this problem tell me what to do and I'm out of here that's not how it works right not how it works brother Justin it makes me think of Abraham and how the Lord when he spoke to him he said here am I you know he asked the question it's like here I am what do you need you know it wasn't like okay well here's my list Isaiah was asked the same thing, right? Who am you know? Uh, Eli and Samuel, right? Good examples. Brother Steve.
2: Uh, back in section six here, paragraph six, mm-hmm. it's such a wonderful uh, bit of instruction. The Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Blessed art thou, he's talking to Oliver, for what thou hast done, for thou hast inquired of me. And behold, as often as thou hast inquired, thou hast received instruction of my spirit so we we could do the same yes. every single time if we come to him with a penitent heart and ask him he will supply and it says down here too that behold thou knowest that thou has inquired of me and i did enlighten thy mind and now i tell these things that thou hast, mayest know that thou has been enlightened by the spirit of truth yes so
0: that that option is available to all of us absolutely Every single one of us in the room. If you seek him, then you find him. Once you have found him, that's what he really wants. He wants you to find him first. Then it says, ask what you have a question of. Ask what your desires are, and you shall receive. And then the most beautiful thing, if you knock, the heavens will be opened up to you. Now, think about that. That is revelation. That's a revealment of Christ in a very personal, powerful way, right? This is the order here, right? Whoever you ask the Father in my name, it shall be given you that's expedient for you. So there's a process here, but notice the word is couched in here. You must seek me diligently. You can't do it haphazardly, partially, part-time, just when you feel like it, just when you're not busy. You must seek him diligently, then you can find him. Brother Mike.
2: The nudge that you speak of reminds me of of, of Saul, and, and the Lord says it's hard for you to kick <laughs> against the pricks. He'd been nudging him and nudging him and nudging him. Right. He finally got him.
0: Absolutely. The Lord is nudging all of us. I hope he's nudged you this week to come and to call upon his name. Then he'll draw near to you. If you seek him, you will find him. Some of you may have. You can ask and then receive. And ultimately, knock and he'll reveal and open things up to you, like he did John. He says, uh, John. He told John, right? The doors of heaven were open to him and he saw, right? All these things. So we must be diligent. So, 248 times diligence is used. You've got to be diligent. Whatever you know, be diligent. That's why the Lord says, I would rather you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. Why? Because he wants you to. Be diligent in that, right? Be all in on the things. Are really be hot than cold than lukewarm is what he told the, the church there in Revelation? Brother Brett.
3: I think another example of this, and one of the brothers mentioned Oliver Cowdery in yeah. section 9. He's being chastised a bit regarding his desire to help translate. And, um, and the Lord says to him, and he's, but he's also being taught too. He says, behold, this is verse 3. You have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought, save it was to ask me. But behold, I, s- <coughs> I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right, and if it's right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel it is right. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's, it's more than just asking and just getting an immediate answer every time. He wants, he wants you to have some ownership. <laughs> And he wants you to be a part of that process and give some thought and kind of labor mentally through study, through yeah. pondering, through all this. That's part of the diligently seeking. him.
0: Absolutely. And unfortunately, in the day's world, we're used to things being uh, so automatic, right? Immediate gratification, immediate response. But the Lord wants you to take time. He wants you to take time with him, make time with him to find him and uh, he'll, he'll be able to bless. Uh, One last scripture I'm going to leave you with, and then we're going to. uh, Our youth is here today. Uh, Let's turn to section 100. I just want to leave you with this scripture about diligence. It's a powerful promise here that, that the Lord gives us in verse 7a of section 100. This is given in Kirtland to the condition of the saints. It says, all victory and glory is brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. All victory and all glory is brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and the prayers of faith been uh, good to share together great conversations and comments today appreciate the spirit in which you carry today uh, maybe it's because it's cooler i don't know but maybe it's just because you're sensing the spirit moving arnie i don't know there's you can sense it again today so it's it's definitely here i'd like to uh, close with a word of prayer and then we'll let our, our youth go ahead there brother steve would you offer a closing prayer for us today
2: Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the many blessings of life. We do appreciate the times that we can come and learn of Thee and Thy ways. Bless us in our endeavors to please Thee, forgive us of our sins, that we may be qualified for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Bless our youth, our Heavenly Father, that as they walk this grounds, that they may turn to Thee for instruction, the instruction that we have talked about this morning. Would thou be with us, our Heavenly Father, in all of these days, our comings and our goings. We thank thee for the beautiful weather. We pray that thou would continue to bless us with uh, the coolness of the breeze. And we just pray that we might have the breeze of the Holy Spirit to come and rest upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you.